Good morning, Harmony. Great to be with you again today. I want to thank Christian and our students for doing an outstanding job of leading our worship here this morning. And uh, we're going to have the privilege of being led by them again here in just a few minutes. Well, maybe it'll be more than just a few minutes, but I promise that they will be back uh, nonetheless. Uh, I also want to thank uh, the Staffords for a great update and time of prayer for our field staff. If you don't know, um, Julie and Ty uh, were our field staff in East Asia for over a decade, and now we have the privilege of having them here and leading all of our global ministry efforts. Now, I want to do something uh, a little bit unusual here this morning. I want to have another time of prayer. I want to pray over you. You know, we're here now in week seven of our quarantine or lockdown or social distancing or whatever we're calling it. And I just kind of get the sense that uh, maybe we're getting a little weary at this point. Some of us are weary over being cooped up. Some of us are worried and anxious about what all this is going to mean and when it's going to be over. And most significantly, some of us are feeling a real financial crunch or concerned that there is an impending one. And so I just want to take a moment as your pastor to pray over you today. And here's what I want to invite you to do. I want to invite you wherever you're at this morning to to just put your hands out like this, uh, just to symbolize that you're ready to receive the grace and the mercy that your heavenly father wants to pour out on you this morning. So stretch out your hands with me today and let's pray. Father, as Ty just mentioned, you are our refuge refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Lord, you are always with your people. Whether we, we feel that or not, you, you're present. You're with us. You are here sustaining us and watching over us and caring for us. And so I just want to pray this morning, Lord, that as your people, we will not only know that, in our heads, but we will feel it, believe it, experience it in our hearts. That you're with us, that you're loving us, that you're caring for us. I wanna pray particularly, Lord, and ask that you will remember your mercy, that you will remember your steadfast love as these things are of old, And I pray that we will experience them anew here in our day and and really right in this day and in this moment. Give us the comfort that we need. Give us the strength that we need. Give us the provision that we need. Give us the faith that we need to hold on to you as you hold us in your hand. Lord, be with those who are particularly struggling today, whether it be with worry or anxiety or financial concerns, whether it be a health issue. Lord, we've had a lot of people who have been sick, who've had family members who have uh, been sick or are sick, some significantly so. We have a number of people who have lost loved ones. So Lord, our hearts cry out to you today and ask you to be our help, to be our rock, to be our refuge We pray now as we open your word that you will reveal yourself to us today and show us all that you would have us to learn and to know about you so that we may grow to be the church that you would have us to be. 
It's in your son's precious name that we pray, amen. Now, before we really get going here today, I I need to just address what's going on uh, with the top of my head here uh, so it's not a distraction and so you're not worrying and concerned or or really, uh, I guess, distracted by what all is going on up there. And so let me just tell you kind of what happened. If you watched our Facebook Live event on Thursday night, uh, you know that there was this uh, silly little video about me uh, in my office and all that. And so as we were filming that, uh, Tim Sobota said, hey, I wanna take you up uh, somewhere and, and, and put you in this place. And I just had to tell you, a little kind of dangerous. And so if you're not uh, okay with that, that's all right. And I said, well, uh, you know, anything for the church. And so I followed him and he takes me me on top of the roof of the Burlington campus, and he says, hey, I want you to climb into this cooling unit. Now, now note here that it's about six feet off the ground, uh, and it's got a really kind of a, a small door, and it's, it's inside basically of this big, I guess, air conditioning or HVAC unit. I don't know exactly what it was. Uh, and so I, I'm looking, and I'm going, okay, I, I guess I'm going to do that. And I, I pull myself up, and as I'm pulling myself up, I didn't bend my head nearly enough, didn't even think about it. And I just slammed my head into the top frame of the door and honestly nearly knocked myself out. In fact, I, I fell back and Tim had to, to catch me so that I didn't uh, fall uh, completely on my face or on my back or whatever it, it would have been. Uh, nevertheless, I, I pulled myself back up and said, okay, well, let me climb in here. I climbed in. You maybe saw the video. And to be honest with you, it didn't turn out all that bad for me, um, other than my pride here uh, this this morning. But it turned out much worse for Tim because he's no longer uh, employed. Now, uh, of course, I'm just joking. We uh, truly, truly love uh, Tim here at Harmony, and uh, he is such a key and critical member uh, of our church um, and our staff. And um, I, I just will tell you this, though, that I will uh, think twice before I give in to one of his dumb video ideas uh, again. Anyway, uh, enough of that. There, there's one final thing that I want to talk about before we get to the message. I want to invite you to join the Carr family for a Facebook Live night of praise and prayer this coming Thursday night at seven o'clock. So uh, my family is going to um, lead us in a, in a time of uh, singing and a time of prayer. And just to be clear, uh, my, the rest of my family is gonna do the playing and the singing and I'm going to do the praying. Uh, they might let me do uh, some of the singing, although uh, they haven't exactly told me whether they're going to do so or not. But I can just tell you this, if, if I do sing, it will be without a microphone. I'll leave the microphone to my girls. Regardless, I hope you'll join us on Thursday night, seven o'clock again, uh, for what I really believe is gonna be a great night of worship as a church. That said, we're gonna be in Acts 2 again today. And so in Acts 2, we're going to study this morning a passage that shows us more clearly than any other in scripture what it means to be the church. If you grew up going to Sunday school, you probably know this nursery rhyme. Here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors, and here's the people. Why don't you do that with me uh, here there this morning? Kids, join in, maybe kind of show or remind uh, your parents, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors, and here's the people. Now, that's cute and all right, However, I hate to tell you this, but it's actually somewhat of a heresy. 
It's a heresy because really this is a building. This is a cultural symbol. And this is really the church. The people are the church. Specifically, the people of God, the people of God who, as we saw last week, the Holy Spirit is gathering through repentance and faith in Jesus. Let me quickly review what we saw last week in the first 41 verses of Acts 2. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells the disciples. And when he indwells the disciples, they begin to speak to a crowd in Jerusalem in other languages. They're not speaking in their own languages, in their own language, but the languages of these people who have gathered together on the day of Pentecost. And specifically, they're speaking about the mighty works of God, the works of salvation that God worked in the Old Testament and that now he is working through Jesus. This speaking in other languages affords Peter with the opportunity to preach the the first sermon in the history of the church. A sermon in which he proclaims that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose again three days later, and that now whoever will repent of their sins and place their faith in Jesus will be forgiven and will receive new life. And when the crowd hears this message from Peter, they believe what he is saying. The Holy Spirit convicts them of their need to repent and place their faith in Jesus. And what happens is that a whole bunch of them actually do so. In fact, 3,000 of them repent and place their faith in Jesus. And what we have then, all of a sudden, is really boom, the church is born. 3,000 people repent. 3,000 people place their faith in Jesus. 3,000 people are saved and the church is off and running. And what we're gonna look at today then is what these people do once they're saved. We're going to talk about how the church starts to function, how the first Christians, how God's people begin to live out their common salvation. Look with me now at verses 42 through 47 of Acts chapter two. Luke writes, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I want to begin with that last sentence. Look at it again. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Luke says that when people were saved... They were added to their number. In other words, they're added to the church. Now, I'm bringing this out here at the beginning in order to show us that, A, in order to be part of the church, you have to be saved. And B, if you're saved, then you're part of the church. 
In order to be saved, you have to repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus. And if you repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus, then you become a part of the church. Here's how John Stott explains it. He says this, the Lord did not add them to the church without saving them. No nominal Christianity at the beginning, nor did he save them without adding them to the church. No solitary Christianity either. So to be part of the church means to be saved and to be saved means to be part of the church. Now then, with that in mind, Note that once they're saved, these first Christians immediately give themselves to certain things. Verse 42 says they devoted themselves. Devoted is the key word in our text. You might wanna circle or underline that word if you you normally do that, all right, in, in your Bibles. It's the key word in our text and it means to steadfastly give yourself away to something and to do so with intense effort. To be devoted means to steadfastly give yourself away to something and to do so with intense effort. Let me give an illustration of what it means to be devoted. Right now, ESPN is running a documentary of the Chicago Bulls' final championship season of the Michael Jordan era. Now, this footage is over two decades old, and that's probably, at least if I'm understanding right, because Jordan didn't want people to know how much of a jerk he was. In other words, and I can just tell you this from really kind of following Michael Jordan for the entirety of his career, he was, maybe even even still isn't, a good individual, a good human being. However, that's not really what I'm gonna focus on here because what we're also gonna see, or what you're also gonna see in the documentary is that Michael Jordan's success, okay, the secret to his success was largely due to the fact that he was devoted to one thing and he was devoted to winning. He gave himself steadfastly and intensely to doing whatever was necessary to win. So he would practice on uh, without end. He would push himself relentlessly. He would prod his teammates. He would provoke his adversaries, his opponents. He would do whatever he needed to, and he would do so steadfastly, and he would do so intensely because he was devoted to winning. So get this. What Luke's trying to tell us here in verse 42 is that as a result of being saved, the first Christians give themselves to certain things with the same kind of steadfastness and intensity. And what are these certain things that the first Christians gave themselves to? Well, here's how we can summarize them. We can summarize them as worship, community, and mission. The first Christians, once they are saved, devote themselves to worship, to community, and to mission. Let's look at each of these things. First, they devote themselves to worship. And their worship has three primary elements. One is God's word. Verse 42 says that they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. This means that they give themselves not only to listening to what they're being taught, but also to putting it into practice. You see, these Christian salvation has created within them a hunger for God's word 
as well as a, a deep desire to obey it. God's word has brought them new life. And so now they're eager to learn more about this new life and to begin to live it. The second element of the worship is the Lord's Supper. That's what Luke means by the breaking of the bread here in verse 42. Upon being saved, these Christians regularly participate in communion as a way to remember Jesus' death and what it has accomplished for them. The third element of their worship is prayer. You'll note that Luke says they devote themselves to the prayers, which means they're regularly, verse 46 actually says, every day gathering for specific times of prayer. Over and over again in Acts, Luke shows us that that one of the primary things that the early church did was, was devote themselves to prayer. They regularly got together to spend time praying to the Lord, making their requests known to him. One of the things that Acts is clear about is the fact that the first Christians get together a lot to pray. Now, we could talk about each of these different worship elements at length, but for today, what I want us to grab hold of is that the first Christians were devoted to worship. As a result of their salvation, gathering to worship God together was of first importance to these believers. The second thing these Christians devote themselves to is community. Verse 42, again, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Here's the Greek word for fellowship. It's koinonia. And since this is a Greek word that all believers should be familiar with, why don't you say it with me uh, today? Ready? Here's how you say it. Koinonia. One more time. Koinonia. Koinonia means to share in common with. These believers now have something they share. Forgiveness of sins and life through faith in Jesus. And this creates within them a unity that leads them to devote themselves to one another. As a result of this really sharing in salvation and this new life that they they have with God through Jesus Christ, they they also come to experience that they, they have something that they share with one another, this new life together. And as a result... They devote themselves to one another. Now, just think about this. These people come from all different kinds of backgrounds and nationalities. They speak all kinds of different languages. They likely were, for the most part, strangers to one another. And yet, upon being saved, they find that what they now share in Christ far supersedes their differences. In verse 44, Luke says that all, get that, all who believe were together and had all things in common. The word common means to to share. It's a similar word to fellowship or, or koinonia. So these believers devote themselves to sharing what they have with whomever has a need. As verse 45 reveals, What's primarily in view here are physical and financial needs. But the rest of the New Testament goes to great length to show that believers are to meet 
every kind of need in the church, physical and financial, as well as emotional, relational, and most of all, spiritual. Over 50 times in the New Testament, we have what are known as the the one another's. Commands for believers to, to pray for one another, to encourage one another, to admonish one another, to teach one another, to carry one another's burdens, etc. And what we see these first Christians do here is that they, they devote themselves to these things from the very beginning. Now, I need to take a quick moment to address how this passage and others in Acts are sometimes misused. What Luke's describing here isn't a form of communism. In fact, nowhere in scripture do we find a command or even encouragement towards enforced giving and or the relinquishing of private ownership. Instead, what's being described here and what scripture routinely encourages, we could even say commands, is voluntary generosity. Believers in the New Testament maintain the rights over the the assets, the resources that God has given them, while at the same time are encouraged toward a cheerful, generous meeting of one another's needs. So let's affirm that there's no communism here in Acts 2, but at the same time, let's also recognize that salvation makes these believers generous to one another, incredibly so. The main point here then is that as a result of being saved, these believers devote themselves to one another. They make sharing their life in Christ a huge priority. The third thing these believers devote themselves to is mission. Here's where we come back to verse 47. As these new Christians devote themselves to worship and community, the Lord grows the church day by day. Every day, more and more people are saved. And here's what we need to recognize. While the Holy Spirit is the one who's bringing people to salvation, he's doing so through these believers. He's doing so as they witness about Jesus. These believers devote themselves to the mission Jesus gave them in chapter one. And as a result, the church grows rapidly. It's imperative we realize that this growth isn't just coming from the apostles teaching and preaching, but but it's also coming as all of these believers witness about Jesus. Let's talk for a second about why these believers witness. What's motivating them to witness? Well, I think it's pretty obvious that they witness out of wonder, joy, and gratefulness over their salvation. Can you see that? These believers are glad and grateful and praising God over what he has done for them. And their worship leads them to witness so that others might have the same experience. You see, these believers show us that when the gospel really grabs hold of our hearts, when it really takes root, when we really come to, to, to recognize, to experience what God has done for us in Jesus, then we're going to devote ourselves to telling others about him. This is how 
life-changing experiences work, don't they? When we have a life-changing experience, we're going to tell others about it and hope that they will have the same life-changing experience as well. For example, have you ever met someone who's into CrossFit? Let me just tell you, someone who's into CrossFit is going to tell you that they're into CrossFit. They're gonna tell you into CrossFit A because they're probably proud about it, but, but B because they want you to take part in CrossFit as well. They want you to experience the life change that they've experienced from it. Or here's another example. Have you ever known someone who's into essential oils? Of course you have, but well, I better leave this one alone. Here's a more serious example. My mom has become an apologist for Cancer Treatment Centers of America. She's become a, an apologist, an enthusiast, really a witness for CTCA because she's had a life-changing, literally a life-saving experience there. And she wants everybody to know about it. And that's the way it works when we have a life-changing experience, we tell others about it in hopes that they will come to have the same life-changing experience as well. And friends, listen, don't we know this? Isn't this true? There really is no greater life-changing experience than to receive the forgiveness of sins and new life through faith in Jesus there really is no life-changing experience that even comes close to being as great as that. Just think about it for a second, right? When you're separated from God on the way to an eternity away from him, when you are weighed down by the weight of your sin, spiritually dead without hope in the world, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin, reveals to you that your sin can be forgiven, that you could have new life through faith in Jesus, gives you the faith to actually do that so that all of a sudden you're restored to God, your sins are forgiven, you're granted eternal life. Aren't you going to want to tell people about that? I mean, is there anything greater than that? And if there is for you, then you're going to witness about it. You're going to tell others about it. So in summary then, what we see here in Acts 2 is that salvation leads to devotion. Really, that's kind of the takeaway from the message today. Salvation leads to devotion. And it leads to devotion to community, I mean, to, to worship, to community, and mission. This is what it means to be a Christian. And therefore, this is what it means to be the church. Now, let's talk about what we need to take away from this. And as we do so, let's be clear that Acts 2, 42 through 47 illustrates the church in its ideal form. Much of the rest of Acts and the New Testament illustrates that the early church often fails to live up to this ideal. In fact, we, we begin to see that just two chapters later, Acts chapter five, there's a couple of believers who lie to the Holy Spirit and uh, 
and they end up actually uh, passing away. They actually die because of that. We get into Acts chapter six and we see people in the church fighting. We get a little bit later in Acts and we see two of the real giants of the early church, Paul and Barnabas, getting in a, in a heated debate and argument in which they, they split up their missionary endeavors. We can go to, to Corinthians. They had all kinds of issues and problems. The church of Galatia, the church of Colossae, over and over. So, so very often, the early church struggled to devote themselves to worship, to community and mission, just like we often struggle today. Despite that, however, we need to realize that what we see in our text is what God wants from his church. God wants his people to be devoted to worship, community, and mission. In fact, and get this, this is why God sent Jesus to die in our place. Here's what Paul tells us in Titus chapter 2. Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Now, we're gonna hang out here just just for a few minutes, all right? Let's walk carefully through this. Paul says that Jesus Christ gave himself for us. I, I think we could say that Jesus Christ devoted himself for us. Why did he devote himself for us? Well, to redeem us from all lawlessness. In other words, to to free us from sin and to purify for himself a people. In other words, to make us holy as as he is holy, to, to renew us in his image. Why? So that we might be a people who are zealous for, or we could say devoted to good works. Jesus Christ devoted himself for us so that we might be devoted to good works. And what are those good works? What are the good works that Jesus devoted himself for us? He devoted himself for us so that we may be zealous, devoted to worship, community, and mission. God wants us to be devoted to worship, community, and mission. But you know what? That's not only what God wants from us, it's also what God wants for us. Not only what God wants from us, it's also what God wants for us. How so? Well, worship, community, and mission are what produce a joyful, grateful, fulfilling life. You see, worship, community, and mission are what we were created for. Let me take you back to the beginning for a moment. When God created mankind, he created us in his image. He he created us for him so that we might worship him. We were created by God and we were created for him. What's more, he created us to live in community with one another. Remember when, when God created Adam, not too long after that, he said it's not good for man to be alone. And so he created Eve. He created Eve so that mankind could live in community and fellowship one another. And maybe right now you're like, okay, well, I, I get the, the worship part, I get the community part, but where does the mission part come in? Well, you'll remember that God gave Adam and Eve a job to do, a task to fulfill, a mission they were to pursue, a mission to be fruitful and to multiply. And as Adam and Eve pursued these things, 
they experienced the life that they were created to experience, a life of gladness, gratefulness, and fulfillment. However, when sin entered into the world, it ruined our ability to worship. It broke the community we're designed to experience with one another. And it made the pursuit of our mission an incredible difficulty instead of a wonderful delight. And friends, this is why Jesus came. He came to reverse the curse of sin. He came to renew us for worship, community, and mission. He came to give us new hearts, new hearts that are devoted to these things and experience the joy and the satisfaction that come from doing so. What I'm trying to tell you here is that what you're looking for in life comes from one place. It comes from devotion to worship, community, and mission. Now, I I realize that right now you're saying, well, you tell us all the time that what we're looking for only comes in a relationship with Jesus. And that is absolutely true. And what I'm trying to point you to today is that a relationship with Jesus is expressed through worship, community, and mission. It, It comes as we worship him, as we do so with other believers and encourage one another in our worship of Jesus, and as we live on mission to bring others into that worshiping community. Let me tell you this. I I don't know how many of you are watching today. The others who I do know, I can't say that I know really, really well. But here's one thing that I know about all of us. I know that all of us are looking for joy. All of us are looking for satisfaction. All of us are looking for fulfillment. All of us are looking for for some purpose in our life, some end in our life, something to live for. And let me tell you, there's only one place where that is truly found. It's only found in worship, community, and mission. So here's my appeal today. I've been thinking a lot about this in recent weeks. And so I wanted to make an appeal to you today. I wanna urge you today to not waste your pandemic. Brothers and sisters, don't waste your pandemic. During this time, we have a unique opportunity to hit the reset button on our lives. For one, many of the things that we normally consume or normally consume much of our time just aren't happening right now. Whether it's school or sports or our kids' activities or traveling or perhaps even work, right now, many of us have extra time on our hands. At the same time, we're also being forced to to grapple with what really matters. I think many of us are coming to the realization that some of the things we normally give ourselves to aren't really that important and maybe aren't even good or helpful. Maybe at least we're realizing there are more important things to focus on. I want to suggest that this is good and needed. In fact, I want to go so far as to suggest that this is actually a gift from God. I'm not saying the coronavirus is a good gift from God. 
I'm not saying the loss of employment and income is a good gift from God. I'm not saying that people getting sick and dying is a good gift from God. But what I am saying that is that in the midst of this, I think that God is offering us a unique gift, a unique opportunity to look at our lives and to reset our priorities around his priorities, the priorities of worship, community, and mission. The priorities that will produce what we're really looking for in life. You know, so many times we end up giving ourselves to things that we, we think are gonna produce what we're looking for, but that really truly don't. And, and a lot of the time we don't even realize this until it's too late. And so that's why I say I really believe that, that this time is a, a gift from the Lord because it, it enables us to really look at our lives and, and to say, am I giving my life to the things that are really gonna produce what, I want to find what I want to experience. Are they really going to produce joy and gladness and purpose and fulfillment and satisfaction? You know, sooner or later, this pandemic is going to be over. Hopefully, right, sooner rather than later. And I know it might not seem like that's the case right now, but eventually the pandemic is going to be over. And when it is, I want to urge us not to go back to the way that things were before. One of my concerns as a pastor is that we're just gonna return to the way that we were doing life before. And, and friends, I just wanna tell you that for so many of us, that's not the kind of life that is gonna produce what we're looking for. It's not gonna produce a life of joy and gladness and fulfillment. Instead, let's devote ourselves to worship. Let's make worship priority number one in our lives. When we can begin to gather again, let's make that gathering the very center of our lives and say, we're just going to give ourselves to gathering to worship the Lord, to his word, to praying, to singing to one another. Let's devote ourselves to community, to pursuing relationships where we can live out the one another's. Let's commit that when this is over that we're, we're going to get into some kind of small group or Bible study or we're gonna, we're gonna start one. We're gonna start meeting with other believers. We're gonna start living and doing life together. Let's devote ourselves to mission. Let's give ourselves fully to witnessing to everyone and everywhere. Let's become a worshiping community that just constantly invites others into our worshiping community. Recently, I finished reading the, the latest book by David Platt entitled, Something's Got to Change. Something's Got to Change. Church, I really believe that that's one of the primary things, maybe the primary thing that God's saying to us in these days, something's got to change. So let's not waste our pandemic. Let's not waste our pandemic, but rather let's make the changes that we need to make. Let's become devoted like the first Christians were and watch as the Holy Spirit uses us to grow the church and gives us great joy and fulfillment as he does so. Will you pray with me?